evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 252. Uh, as we continue to shiver in the snow in Karathras together. Uh, so there we are. Um, okay, so I, we're, we're going to... Uh, tonight, having looked at the experience of the hobbits and what they were thinking and feeling as the snow inexorably continues to mount... Uh, measuring by pony body parts exactly how high the snow is getting. Um, we are going to shift to two things that are going to happen tonight. One is a dream from Frodo, a sort of dream uh, from Frodo. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the first counteraction, the first uh, recourse that they take to try to keep themselves alive. So... That is the plan. Um, I could just a couple quick announcements tonight. Uh, first of all, um, I want to let you guys know some exciting news. Uh, and the exciting news is we have finally um, gotten over the initial obstacle that we have been facing. And it's just about time to start releasing my book as I had planned to do like a year ago. Well, not quite a year ago, but still feels like three years ago now. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, uh, the official serial release of my book is going to begin. Um, and uh, there will be a registration link for that soon. So what will happen there? Um, you can subscribe for $2 a month. It's a really minimal fee. Um, subscribe for $2 a month and you can get each chapter of the new book as it comes out, Exploring the Rings, The Lord of the Rings, Volume 1. Um, and uh, you'll be, you know, so you'll be getting early access to these chapters as they come out. Um, they will be revised and, ed and edited. It's not just rough drafts that I'm sharing with you. Um, they will be sort of polished, uh, but that doesn't mean absolutely final. I may still go back and do some revisions afterwards between those and the actual publication of the complete volume uh, at the end. So that is um, what is going to be happening. So those of you who are in my author circle, of course, have already seen a couple chapters, and I've been working through ideas and plans with you guys. That will continue, and then we'll be following that up with the actual official release of those, uh, of those finished chapters uh, to the rest of the world. If you're in my author circle, then you'll get the, the monthly drops uh, um, automatically with everybody else that's sort of included in the author circle thing. Um, but uh, but if you can't do the full author circle participation, uh, you can still get early access to my book a chapter at a time as I go through and write it uh, in the process here month to month. Um, and uh, that is coming very soon. So it's not it's not out yet, but I just I but I did want to let you know, I know that's been delayed. Um, I did want to let you know that that was uh, that that was coming. And it's uh, there have been some changes since my original projections. Again, those in my author circle know all about this, but um, I've been I, I, f I found myself confronted with a problem from the very beginning. You may remember that I I, I said before that my original plan was to publish one chapter of my book on each chapter of the book one of the Fellowship of the Ring, just like I did with my Hobbit book um, way back when. But I, um, as I was going through, I realized that is insane. 
insane. There's like way too much stuff going on. The the chapters are both longer and there's so much more happening in the Lord of the Rings than in the Hobbit. I can't possibly do that. Um, I had this funny experience um, that uh, when I was when I was first doing my first draft of what I meant to be chapter one, you know, on the long expected party. And I was like, man, I remember like, I remember writing my Hobbit book and the chapters, like I, I was able to finish them much faster. I don't know what I'm like, this is taking forever. What's going on here? And then I, 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 I'm like, I've been working on this for a really long time and I'm like only a third of the way through at most, you know, there's still so much more that I wanted to talk about. And then I went back and looked and found that the average chapter of my Hobbit book is about 4,000 words uh, or so. And I had already written about 9,000 words <laughs> and I was only a third of the way done. And I was like, okay, I think, uh, I think I need to, I think I need to go, go out and come in again <laughs> on this. So I've, um, I've reorganized, um, uh, yeah, the chapter totally did grow in the telling <laughs> mad violinist. So, um, I have, I am covering now, I'm going to be spending multiple chapters of my book covering each of the chapters uh, in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring as I go through. I don't yet have all of that fully mapped out. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, but um, I do, I am finishing up three chapters on chapter one. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah, so it's, um, plan has changed a little bit, um, which means it'll be longer and more fun than I had originally planned. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> and Nancy, exactly. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll get to Weathertop and then I'm going to do a, a really efficient chapter, uh, on Weathertop. It's going to be awesome. Um, so, um, anyway, that's, um, that's that's what is happening. And then also in the course of a conversation with my author circle, um, they convinced me that I was gonna just kind of skip the prologue and I was going to do the prologue when I got kind of to the end. That's how I always do it when I read. I like compulsively don't read introductions first. So I usually read the prologue like at the end. Um, you know, like I'll read The Lord of the Rings and then I'll read, you know, the concerning Hobbit you know, the, the prologue and then I'll read appendix a, like that's kind of like my normal sequence, um, and then go through. But, um, uh, anyway, I was convinced that actually I really kind of do need to start with a chapter on the prologue. So, um, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, my chapter on the prologue, and it's actually probably the thing that I'm going to end up dropping first. So, uh, yes, <laughs> Frank, you're right. I know it is. It's pretty shocking, right? That it's going to end up longer than I thought. However, um, one thing I can say, and in this, I am entirely confident, right? I mean, just absolutely confident that that it's not going to get longer and longer and longer. The more I get through the book like that, it's that is clearly, <laughs> clearly counterindicated. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's uh, it's it's not uh, it's not going to happen. Um, um, yeah, so will there be appendices to this book? Probably, maybe, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to make any promises about that. <laughs> I'm not planning any at this time, but that doesn't mean that there, it's uh, impossible that there would be any. Um, but, um, 
Silk Weskin, exactly. It's not going to get longer as I go along because I'm starting longer this time. Yes, I do think that the pace that I've now that I'm now establishing, um, like with my three to one ratio, there is I think going to be going to be fairly indicative. I guess I haven't mapped out the whole thing um, exactly how many chapters I'm going to need per chapter, but um, but looking ahead, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the two to three range, um, on the whole. But, uh, anyway, that's, that's what's, um, that's what is going to happen. So again, uh, the way that it's going to work, if you would like to get access to this, to read the chapters as they come out here, as I'm producing them. Um, and it's likely to take, I mean, against one, one of the downsides is that I had been planning to do this in like 13 installments, uh, because it was going to be, um, one chapter for chapter plus an intro and conclusion. Um, it, that's not going to happen now. Um, and, um, which means the process of writing this book is likely to take longer than I anticipated because it is going to be more. So again, exactly Silk Westcott, as you said, instead of growing as I go along, I'm doing it from the beginning, which means unlike our Tuesday evening discussions, I'm going to, I am trying to do justice to chapter one the first time uh, going through. That's kind of the goal there. But um, yeah, yeah. So that is, uh, um, that is, that is what is happening. And uh, the way in which I convince myself not to just like add more and more and more to it is that instead I add to the list of books I'm going to write after this. So it all works out. It makes it much easier. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so there we are. Um, anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> See, right. Um, right. Matt was saying that uh, Evil Doctor Cannon is going to need a new graph examining the uh, ratio of chapters and things. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. So, um, but anyway, it, it's been, it's been great fun. I, as a, as I've mentioned before, um, I have really loved, uh, my author circle. I meet with my author circle every month. Um, you know, we have discussions about, you know, plans and ideas for where I want to go. Um, I, they're wonderful for, uh, bouncing questions off of and getting ideas from, um, they're a marvelous accountability structure. That's been very, very valuable for me. Um, so I've been, so that th I've been doing that, that's going to be continuing, but now we've finally come to the place where I can, uh, share some of that stuff with everybody else. So I am, uh, excited about moving forward to that uh, and seeing that come. And actually, there's a whole number of things uh, for the Signum Press that are going to be getting released soon. Um, mine is only one of about seven or eight different projects that are going to be um, uh, released for sale and subscription uh, here at the press uh, very soon, actually, um, within the next couple weeks at the very latest. So uh, that should be, um, that's going to be pretty exciting. I will, uh, I will share more with you guys uh probably next time um when i get back uh when i get back from you know where the stars are strange which is osmoot just so that you know yes gray uh, uh graham jeff lasala's book is one of the ones that's coming out and that too um 
the the newly revised edition of his Silmarillion primer is going to be also up for uh, uh, you can subscribe to the serial release of that too so you can go along with Jeff during that process that's going to be that's going to be awesome I love Jeff Lasala's work so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that too um, anyway lots of stuff I'll walk you guys through that uh, as I say probably next time when I'm back um, don't forget I won't be back uh, for I'm going to be missing two weeks after tonight uh, because the next two Tuesdays um, are going to be my travel days to and from um, Australia. So, um, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so I will be, um, which are going to be awesome. I can't wait. So excited about my long plane trip. Um, and of course, being in Australia in between them <laughs> as well. Um, but, um, that's going to be great fun. And again, don't forget if you, there's still time, if you would like to sign up to attend, uh, either in person, if you happen to be in, uh, or near Australia, uh, next week, or if you want to attend remotely, um, and get access to digital recordings of the whole thing. Um, it is uh, going to be by far the best value for a moot of anything we've ever done. Um, so, um, anyhow, yeah. Um, Yep. Yeah, Fort Thomas, that's exactly what I'm facing next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, the 36 hours of travel um, that falls between 10 a.m. on Tuesday and 4 p.m. on Tuesday, <laughs> basically. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that those are the things that are going... Oh, one last very, very brief thing. Um, we are integrating MythMoot, actually all of our events pretty much from now on um, are going to be integrated into our BlackBerry system, which is very exciting. And that is um, um, has delayed the, the release, you know, the launch of MythMoot registration uh, this year, a little bit later than usual. Um, that is coming very soon. It's almost ready now. Uh, so be on the lookout for the launch of MythMoot registration. Um, uh, for this year's MythMoot, which will be coming very soon. All right. Um, let's get back to the snow. A great sleepiness came over Frodo. He felt himself sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream. He thought a fire was heating his toes, and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth, he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. I don't think much of your diary, he said. Snowstorms on January the 12th. There was no need to come back to report that. But I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo, Frodo answered with an effort, when he felt himself shaken, and he came back painfully to wakefulness. Boromir had lifted him off the ground, out of a nest of snow. This will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf, said Boromir. It is useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. We must do something to save ourselves. Give them this, said Gandalf, searching in his pack and drawing out a leathern flask. Just a mouthful each, for all of us. It is very precious. It is Miravor, the cordial of Imladris. Elrond gave it to me at our parting. Pass it round. All right. Um, so first, the vision that Frodo has. Now, I keep calling this a vision or a dream. And, of course, uh, we can see that Frodo is sort of hallucinating here, right? In that way, it seems quite unlike the other dreams that Frodo has had. Um, and yet, when 
given what we've seen with Frodo's dreaming in the past, when Frodo dreams, it seems like something we should pay attention to, um, because that has been pretty significant so far. There was the dream that he dreamed when he was in Crick Hollow, and then there was the dream that he dreamed in the house of Tom Bombadil. There were several dreams, but Frodo's was... Um, one of the mo most revealing and interesting, you'll remember, that's the thing that Frodo blurted out about at the Council of Elrond, about seeing Gandalf up on the tower and everything. Um, and uh, and now we have him dreaming again. He's sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream. It's the haziness which seems to betray the sort of delusional element of it. Right? He thought a fire was heating his toes. And out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth, he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. And Bilbo's voice condemns his diary. Snowstorms on January the 12th. There was no need to come back to report that. What do you see? Um, I, I certainly agree, Dan, that this feels like one of the least supernatural of Frodo's dreams. I absolutely agree. Um... And, um, and yes, I agree also, Rin, that the fire heating his toes is almost certainly the beginnings of frostbite. Yes, yes. Um, to me, the most interesting context of all of this is that, like, that he should have hallucinations of a fire heating his toes when frostbite is probably beginning to set into his extremities, uh, and when... And, you know, and that he's he's dreaming of warming himself by a fire by a fire. None of those things are strange or unexpected, of course. But um, the interaction with Bilbo is the thing that I find most interesting or revealing, revealing about Frodo's state of mind here. Where exactly is Frodo? And, it, and one of the things that occurs to me here, it's interesting to me that we've actually not gotten much of Frodo's perspective. We got a little bit when he was overhearing Aragorn and Gandalf's conversation and him, you know, his kind of rooting for Aragorn's side and hoping that they didn't do what Gandalf wanted to do, you know, his dread uh, that he was that he was feeling. So I mean, we talked about Frodo there a bit, but a lot of the other experience has been filtered. We, we, we've, we, we've gotten a lot of Sam. Too. Even to the point where the whole like Krabine incident, you know, the whole um, uh, the whole uh, <laughs> what was it? Genocide of crows. The whole genocide of crows incident um, was framed for us through the point of view of, of Sam. Right. Um, but now. We come back to something I think more revealing about Frodo's perspective, even Sam's commentary, even Sam's uh, sort of griping, right? Sam's 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 complaining, um, his um, uh, you know his his grumbling, which we talked about last time. Even those things have been a, a sort of a channel through which we can begin to see how the hobbits in general are feeling and perhaps even to connect to some of Frodo's own feelings that he doesn't feel, even in retrospect, that he can himself give voice to, but Sam does, right? Um, 
So those things all kind of indirectly tell us about what Frodo is thinking and what Frodo has been experiencing uh, through this whole time. But in a lot of ways, the big questions, where is Frodo's mind right now? Frodo is setting out on a probable suicide mission to attempt to destroy the ring, which everyone has agreed, including the people, you know, who all like voted to send him on this mission. Um, everyone agrees that the odds are strongly against success, right? You remember this was one of the reasons they chose this path, right? You know, they chose this path because um, it seemed little likely that it would work. Um, let's not choose the path of wisdom. Um, let's not go for Umdir. That is, you know, a plan that we feel good about. Um, let's let folly be our cloak, uh, as uh, as Gandalf says. Um, we also saw in the beginning of this chapter, Gandalf, Bilbo, Aragorn, Sam, um, solicitous about Frodo's state of mind and the state of his spirit. So what is it as he's on his trip? What's he thinking about? Where is his mind? Where is his heart right now? What is he thinking about? What is he struggling with? And this vision, I think, is one of the things that I think tells us more than anything we've seen so far about where Frodo's mind is. First, the premise of his hallucinatory dream here is that he's gone back to Rivendell. And that is, according to his own words within the dream, an expression of his own desire. That's like his wish fulfillment. But I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo. He's gone back. He's gone back to Rivendell. Um, he's gone back to Rivendell, and at Rivendell he can rest and he can sleep and he can be... And, then, and there are these th things then that are not stated, right? And he'll be safe. Safe from freezing to death, for example, but of course safe, at least for a time, for the from the pursuit of the enemy as well. Um, safe from the responsibility of the quest, you know. Uh, uh, presumably, possibly, at least l relieved um, of his of his burdens. Um, now, April Daydream. That is a really good point. I am assuming that it's Rivendell that he's envisioning here. It doesn't explicitly say that. Um, the reason I say that is simply the words come back, to come back to report that. Back to Rivendell. I mean, obviously you could say going back to the Shire would be really going back. Um, but it this seems to fit within the context of what we saw in Rivendell. Him setting out from Rivendell, Bilbo telling him to take notes, right? Um, you know, so that he can, you know, he, uh, he can get a full report when Frodo comes back. Um, and, uh, you know, that he should look out for any new stories and songs that he meets along the way and all that kind of thing. Like, so this, the, con the, 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 the context of the whole little dream here, Right of, I'm going back and I'm 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 giving my diary of my journey to Bilbo to look at. Was very much framed by Rivendell when they started. 
if we don't think it's Rivendell, it could, the only other thing it really plausibly could be is Bag End, right? And if he's imagining sitting with Bilbo warming himself by the fire, by the hearth in Bag End, that's not just going back, you know, coming back in space to where he began his journey. That's going back in time, right? To the time when he and Bilbo were happy together in Bag End. And it's not that that's a strange or particularly unlikely thing to happen, um, you know, in this kind of extremity, but it is, but I don't see any reason to believe that it, it, that it has that kind of fantasy framework that he's going back in time in that way. Again, it sounds instead very much, um, like a fantasy of the future where he has returned to Bilbo, who is in Rivendell waiting for him. So that's why, so it's a little bit of an assumption on my part, but I'm not sure it's just an assumption. Um, I would say it is a conclusion I draw, though confessedly on not very strong evidence. Um, But it does that it's somewhere else, such as Bag End. I can't think of a third candidate, honestly, of where else it could be. Um, To say that it's Bag End seems to mean even more tenuous leap with even less evidence. Um, and then, of course, you get the... And I... I sorry, I forgot um, which of you said this before. Um, I saw it before, but it went by a while back. Um, the whole context before the reported internal dialogue, right? He thought a fire was heating his toes, um, and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth, he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. Um it's hard not to remember Bilbo's I sit beside the fire and think song that we just got before we left Rivendell. Um, so that too is another, I mean, again, it's a very indirect sort of anchor to Rivendell, but in as much as it connects us anywhere, it does, I think, connect us back to Rivendell. So, um, and yeah, exactly. Druid's fire. I don't think Frodo would ever expect Bilbo to be back in the Shire. Um, it's clear that Bilbo intends to remain in Rivendell. So yes, um, imagining now, again, it's not like that's still, even in that circumstance is impossible that he could be imagining some kind of alternative history, right? In which Bilbo never left Bag End or in which like they're all back in Bag End together again. I mean, that kind of delusional fantasy, perfectly plausible, but I don't see any cues for that. It sounds instead like returning back. It was Gil Dalawin, of course. Very sensible. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, that's that's why I think of, of the two possibilities, Rivendell seems like far the likeliest uh, to me. Um, now, oh, but, but hang on. But that's part of it, right? That frame all makes sense. Um, the first thing that we can conclude is that this seems to be, at least in this moment, his wish fulfillment. What does he really wish? Um, when he is floating in and out of consciousness, right, and letting his mind drift, what is it that he dreams of? What is it that he imagines? Going back to Bilbo. Going back to Bilbo, to Rivendell, to rest and sleep. And also, by extension, um, by implication, give up the quest, right? To kind of like uh, 
get backsies on the whole ring bearer thing. It's not stated there, but that would seem to be the implication. I mean, if they go back to Rivendell, um, if, if he simply gives up and returns, he is giving over the quest. He's abandoning the quest. And that seems to make an unstated part of this fantasy, right? Um, that when the road has gotten really bad, um, when they're in a really bad place and he is on the verge of hypothermia and frostbite, um, he is fantasizing about giving up and going back. But here's the other half, right? The other half of that dream is Bilbo's polite and gentle condemnation of that choice, of that desire, right? Um, Bilbo is not okay. Imaginary, de delusionary Bilbo, um, wish fulfillment Bilbo, does not give his blessing to this undertaking. Um, and yes, Mad Violinist, you're right. Uh, not for the last time did Frodo wish that he were back home. Yes, um, Chris is uh, implicitly connecting this scene with all those times in The Hobbit when Bilbo wished that he were home by his hearth with the kettle just beginning to sing. Um, I think that's actually a very interesting point of contrast to me, Chris, because I, I point of contact, point of comparison as well. Um, but as soon as I compare it, the contrast feels really stark, doesn't it? At least it does to me. When Bilbo is imagining being back at home, sitting in his parlor instead of being where he is, um, there is none of the sense of I am contemplating abandoning my charge, you know? Um, if Bilbo could be transported back home, that's always what the fantasy is, right? If suddenly he could vanish out of this situation and just find himself in his parlor, maybe found that he had never gone, right? Maybe found that he was magically transported home uh, in some way. But that's what he wants when he's you know, huddling in the dark in the tunnels above Gollum's Lake when he is waking up, um, you know, uh, uh, next to a dead spider, when he's, you know, all, all of these, you know, when he's hungry in the, the Elf King's halls, um, skulking around, miserably burgling the same house over and over again. Um, he wishes that he were home, right? Um, and it's always a... For Bilbo in The Hobbit, it's always like the holding of two things in his mind. My assessment of my current uncomfortable situation and my memory of my comfortable home, right? Um, and he clings to that in some ways, but he's also he's expressing a preference. I would rather have that than this. Um, and that, of course, I mean, I in my Hobbit book, I was connecting that with his whole his 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 uh, took and Baggins sides, right? And we see Tolkien using that kind of vocabulary uh, in the Hobbit, where he talks about, um, you know, his Baggins side was getting stronger and stronger, right? And his Took side was getting, um, you know, more and more tired. We get this at the end of the book, right? Um, the two different sides of him, one of which is inclined towards adventure, and the other of which is inclined towards 
peace and home and that hearth with the kettle, right? That's not what's going on here with Frodo. It's like that. Um, and, and again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really important comparison, I think. Um, but when I make the comparison, what I chiefly see are the differences. There's no, there's no consequences, right? If Bilbo, um, you know, when he's alone in the pitch dark, in the, tub, in the tunnels under the Misty Mountains, um, and has no food, you know, no recourse, nothing except his sword and this new trinket that he just found on the floor, right? Um, there's no shame to him in stopping to think about eggs and bacon, right? To stop and think about his home and his hearth. Um, but here there is shame connected with his return. And the slightly castigating tone, gently castigating tone of Bilbo's, of Dream Bilbo's words show that. I don't think much of your diary. So you've come back from your journey with this really short diary of only a couple weeks, which climaxes with, I ran into snowstorms on January the 12th. So there was a snowstorm, so we turned around and came home. There was no need to come back to report that. That's not a good reason for coming home. It's certainly not a good reason for abandoning the entire quest. So we can see the desire to do it, the desire to choose a different path, right? You know, is he going to go on with the quest or is he going to turn aside and come back? Um, remembering ahead... Um, uh, you will recall that Sam is going to talk on the stairs of Kirithungul about the many opportunities to turn back. Um, but the protagonists of the tales that really matter, um, they don't take those opportunities. And if they had, they'd have been forgotten. No one's going to read the book about we journeyed for a couple of weeks, ran into a snowstorm and came back home, right? That's not a story that anyone is going to read, both for the good reason that it's not an interesting story and it's certainly not going to be one of the great tales after all, but for also the very good reason that Sauron is likely to overcome the world and cover Middle-earth with a second shadow and no one's going to read any stories ever again. So, um, you know, that's, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he feels it. He feels it. So I wanted rest and sleep, I think is an honest desire, but it's only half of the desire. It does seem to me that the... I don't know, the burden, the responsibility, the dread is part of it. That thing that <clears throat> he's not been talking about, that none of them have been talking about, um, about the quest, about his role as ring bearer, um, is, um, um, he desires to go back but he can't, and he knows that he can't. His dream Bilbo, 
he has a fantasy not just of warming his toes by the fire, but he has a fantasy of warming his toes by the fire while Bilbo gently tells him that he shouldn't have, there was no need to come back to report that you shouldn't have come. Right? He's very gently saying this this would be the wrong thing. Right? Um Yeah. Um Frodo feels himself shaken at this point, but I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo. I wonder, by the way, was he quite done with that sentence, do you think? If uh, Boromir hadn't shaken him and lifted him off the ground out of a nest of snow at that particular moment, would that answer by Frodo have gone on a little further? You know, would it have been even more revelatory, right? Um, but, um, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not convinced that that's, but I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo, is the end of what he was going to say there completely. Um, and yes, mad violinist, I too am struck by the coincidence of Boromir being the one to shake him. Um, but I think there are a couple things involved in that. Thing number one, which of course is often foremost in our minds as especially rereading the story, it's hard not to be remembering ahead. Um, this is something like the first moment that Boromir has picked up the ring. Now he's picked up the ring bearer along with it, right? But he's He's holding the ring, right? It's right there in front of him as he picks up uh, Frodo and shakes him off. Um, is that involved? Is has Boromir been staring? Right? Has um, is this why he notices the issue here before anybody else? Drosnik um, <laughs> is thinking of a, a, a twisted version of "I can't carry it, but I can carry you." Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Frodo is, after all, so small a thing. Uh, mad violinist, true enough. True enough. Um, but I think there's also, in Boromir's defense, another significant thing going on here, and that is Boromir's next paragraph. Once again, Boromir is on edge, right? Boromir has, I think, had just about as much as he can take. This will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf, said Boromir. It is useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. We must do something to save ourselves. Here is Boromir stating what has to be, from his perspective, the obvious, right? Um, can't you hear in Boromir's words here, especially remembering Boromir and who he is, right? a really quite patient um, statement of, okay, leaders of this expedition, um, it is time and past time for a little leadership. Some, this is the point at which something must be done in order for us to save ourselves, right? Sitting here and doing nothing, not working, right? Um, 
This will be the death of the halflings, as anybody else could have noticed also. It's useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads, which seems to be all that we're doing. We must do something to save ourselves. And I will wait patiently right over here while the leaders of this expedition say what we're going to do to save ourselves. But I can't forbear pointing out that something needs to be done. Um, yeah, now, Nancy, I do agree that Death on the Mountain was one of the acceptable options. Um, well, but it was more acceptable than other options. Uh, more acceptable than Saruman getting the ring. More acceptable than a troop of orcs getting the ring, or something like that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, less unacceptable, Gildalowin, yes, is probably a better way to, uh, uh, to, uh, to say that. Um, I actually think that the Peter Jackson film tries to capture this element of Boromir. Um, I don't think it completely succeeds, but you, you may remember in the, you know, when they're buried in snow in the mountain in the movie, movie Boromir says, we should go back to the Gap of Rohan, you know, and like take the other roads to my city, right? Um, but see, in the film, he ends up just sort of sounding like a... Like, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to suggest that we do just what I want, right? Which is not what I see Boromir doing here at all. Um, I still see, he's still showing restraint. This has to be killing him. Killing him. I, I, I mean, I think he is probably closer to death by frustration and swallowing his own tongue than he is to death by hypothermia at this moment. Um, I mean, Boromir is a man of action. Boromir is a, uh, is, is a leader. Boromir assumes he is in charge. And to stand here doing nothing when something obviously needs to be done, right? Um... And not, he still has not voiced a word of criticism against Gandalf or Aragorn, right? He's not said, he's not even grumbled exactly, right? He's not said like, you know, um, I think of, um, was it Grishnok? Fine leadership, right? When the, uh, when the Rohirrim catch up with him. He says to Ugluk, you think about the way that um, Grishnok and Ugluk are always sniping at each other, puffing themselves up and sniping at each other, right? Um, that is a perfect model for what Boromir has not done, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Bjorn Asolner, he's, uh, uh, he's doing his best to respect Aragorn and Gandalf's leadership, but not at the cost of the Hobbit's safety, which he very much sees in jeopardy. Yeah, exactly. Um, he shouldn't have to point out that it's useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. Um, and he doesn't even point out 
that he shouldn't have to point out <laughs> that fact, right? Um, I mean, you could you could even say that that middle sentence, it's useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads, still has, like, he's, we've seen how he's even been trying to, and he's not exactly participating in hobbitry, but he's still speaking lightly. Like, he's not, he's not making it a big deal yet. Um, uh, you know, it is no good to remain, uh, so secret that we are frozen to death, you remember, he said similarly before, which um, is a line that could be read in a couple different tones of voice, right? But it sounds to me like him trying to st kind of lighten things a little bit, right? Um, uh, take any possible, any perceived sting out of the suggestion that he's making. Um, <laughs> one more. He doesn't go quite that far. Would be ashamed to have to start eating the rest of the party. Ha ha ha. Uh, right. Yeah. No, not quite that badly. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. Again, depending on your tone of voice in which you read that. I mean, you could say it is useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads, right? As if he's completely, um, you know, losing it. Right. But I don't necessarily think that. It must be read that way. This will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf. It is useless to sit here until the snow goes over our heads. We must do something to save ourselves. Um, but even in saying that, he doesn't even make a suggestion. Remember how cautiously and carefully and tactfully he proffered his previous suggestion about bringing firewood with them. Um... Here, he doesn't even make the suggestion. Just the observation which feels like it took a metric ton of restraint to hold himself to. We must do something to save ourselves. Mustn't we now? <laughs> so, party leader. Let's hear the plan, right? Tell the plan as... My son, uh, one of my son's favorite uh, expressions when he was like four. Um, and honestly, in some ways, it's hard it's hard to understand what Gandalf and Aragorn are really thinking. Um, Boromir's actions and suggestions. You know, he keeps interrupting, he keeps being the one to initiate things, and he keeps being right every time. And not only right, but politic, practical, constructive, tactful. All of these things. Um... But whenever he talks, it, um, it strikes me to ask, like, so Gandalf, what was your plan, actually? You didn't want to bring firewood with you? You were anti-bringing firewood into the freezing cold. Like this, not only had you not thought of this, but this struck you as a bad idea, right? Which you grudgingly acceded to. Um, 
what is the plan other than letting the snow going over their heads? Why didn't you notice that Frodo was lapsing into a hypothermic coma right there? It's Boromir who notices. Now, again, there is that edge to Boromir noticing what's going on with Frodo, right? Which maybe there's a reason he's staring at Frodo. But still, um, he is... Um, uh, he is not wrong. Um, and it's not clear. In response to Boromir's suggestion, Gandalf says, give them this. Searching in his pack and drawing out a leathern flask, just a mouthful each for all of us. It is very precious. It is Miravor, the cordial of Imladris. Elrond gave it to me at our parting. Pass it round. Um. Okay. That's a plan. Um. That's a plan. Yeah. Two Juice Man says, uh, watching out for the halflings. Now that's soldiering. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, he seems to be, this suggests to me that Boromir is, at least in some respects, a very good general. Um, a very good general is going to be in touch with the experience of the infantry, right? Um, whereas, you know, Gandalf and Aragorn have been thinking these big picture questions and it's Boromir who is looking out for the frostbite uh, of the foot soldiers here. Um, Ziva, I would think that Sam would be watching Frodo, except I expect that Sam is having his own hypothermic delusion uh, at this, um, at this point. Um, yeah, exactly. Sam would have been watching, except he also was, uh, was, was, was frozen here. Um, so Gandalf's plan <laughs> booze that's Gandalf's plan now I'm just teasing Miravor is not just booze this is not just this is not like in Dracula where we're always handing out the brandy whenever something alarming happens um, it's um, yeah no I, I, I do think um, I don't think it's just stalling Madagod, I, re I really don't. Um, there is um, it's just a mouthful each for all of us. It's very precious. And uh, and yes, I agree um, that um, I, somebody was uh, was saying that um, precious, this is one of the very few non-ring-related uses uh, of the word precious, which is true. Um, <laughs> right. Bjarne is wondering if, by saying it's not just booze, uh, is it actually booze? Um, yes. I mean, if I had to if I had to guess whether or not Miravor contained alcohol, I'm going with yes. I mean, I, I think it does. Um, I'm not saying it definitely does. It is obviously true that the drink that Gildor put in their water bottles when they woke up after meeting the elves um, in the Woody End was plainly alcoholic, right? Based on the state of inebriation into which they worked themselves by sitting and, by sitting and drinking it. 
Um, but um, uh, but it's a it's a it's a cordial, yes, and so therefore probably a liqueur. I mean, I assume just by calling it a cordial, I assume it is probably alcoholic. Um, and um, um, yeah, well, that's another thing, Wobe. You're certainly right that um, you know back in the days, uh, you know before purification and pasteurization uh most everybody drank alcohol most of the time i mean drinking plain water was not safe um so you would drink diluted heavily diluted alcohol even as a child uh small beer and whatnot um because then it was safe to drink um and yes the alcohol preserves it as well um was lucy's cordial also booze well probably but you didn't really drink it. I mean, she just, you know, it, it wasn't to be taken internally, <laughs> generally. Though you could, for seasickness, for instance. Uh, Eustace takes Lucy's cordial internally. Um, but, um, uh, anyway. Um, yes, the word... The word liquor as well as cordial is used. Now, none of those things proves that there's alcoholic content, but I don't see any reason to doubt that there is. Um, honestly, that seems like something that would be presumed unless stated otherwise. Um, Yeah, no, I, I'm not suggesting the alcohol is the medicinal ingredient in this case. No. Um, uh, but, no, no, that's not the point. Um, because, yes, I, I know that drinking alcohol when you're freezing cold is not actually a brilliant idea. Um, but um, I... Sorry, what I'm pausing and thinking about right now, I'm trying to think of times in Tolkien. Anytime anyone drinks a beverage. And I think it's by default alcoholic unless we're told explicitly that it's water or like milk or something again unless it's unless it's very explicit about it's being milk or water or something like that i th think every other time we see tea yes sure like at back end yeah um yeah um are in drafts alcoholic? Uh, probably not. But maybe. Um, coffee is mentioned in The Hobbit, though it's one of those words like tobacco, uh, which he's very reluctant to use in The Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so like it's... 
pretty significant percentage. I mean, again, what I'm saying is if we're not told what it's what it is, I'm assuming there's some alcohol content. I mean, I think that's generally true. Um, Wine, beer, some kind of strange, clear liquid that goes to the head, Uh, whether it goes to the head like the beverage that they had after Woody End or whether it goes to the head like the Ant Draft does. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, um, the reason I'm going down that particular side trail, thinking about beverages as a whole in Middle Earth, is that I don't think it should be at all surprising if there's alcohol content in the cordial of Imwidris or in um, Endraft for that matter or um, <laughs> Moochine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's a pretty... strange modern way of looking at things to a sort of assume by default that if there's a strange beverage it's like non-alcoholic unless stated otherwise right it's going to be assumed to be alcoholic i think unless stated otherwise um well the ant drafts are water are what the water event wash but he offers them water event wash but then there's also he does something to the drink um but um anyway uh Yeah, Jackie, it absolutely would be the norm for most households to produce some kind of alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, exactly, Druid's Fire. The shift to non-alcoholic drinks is fairly recent, like in the past century. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was not anticipating this little sidetrack here. Um uh, other than, yes, I don't know exactly what proof the uh, Miravore is, but I would be quite surprised if there was no alcohol in it whatsoever. Um, um, okay, okay. But we're not... <laughs> JJ thinks we found our myth mood reenactment. <laughs> what? <laughs> Brewing moochine? <laughs> is, is that what we're doing? Um, the good news is if we set up a still at the NCC, we could probably do it in one of those random hidden courtyards and nobody would find us for weeks. So we could probably do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, okay. Um, it is not at first obvious what Gandalf's plan is. Um, and that is why, uh, somebody was saying earlier that the phrase, it is Miravor, the cordial of Imladris, makes it, that sounds like a, you know, an, an advertising slogan or something. Um, and I hear that, um, but, um, that sentence is the only thing that makes this sound 
even like any kind of plan <laughs> about the hypothermia. Um, if not for that sentence, it's Miravor the, cor the cordial of Imladris. If he didn't explain that it's the cordial of Imladris, I would have assumed he was passing around a flask of brandy like they might have done in Dracula. Um, I mean, that's... People did take a sip of brandy in order to... Like, if you were feeling chilled. That was a thing that you did. And not so very long ago, from Tolkien's perspective. Remember the date of Dracula, where everyone is treating brandy like it cures everything in the world, was 1897, right? So, um... Uh, anyway, um, without that sentence, um, it's very precious. It means it's probably not just particularly good booze, uh, that he's, uh, that he's passing, um, that he's passing around. Um, but, um, anyway, um, I, 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 Trifle, they do sometimes drink port in Dracula, but not medicinally in the same way. If there's a real crisis, you want to go for the flask of brandy. Like, that's what you, that's what you keep in your first aid kits. Remember, remember how Dracula, as coachman, tells Jonathan that there's a flask of plum brandy under the seat of the carriage that he's riding in exactly like a first aid kit? Right? I love that. Anyway, uh, sorry, I'm digressing again. Um, now, Everett, I do agree. It's a good question um, that it's um, it's weird that Gandalf was keeping the Miravor a secret until now. Um, I don't I, I don't think it's weird. They haven't they haven't needed it yet. Um, this is our first piece of evidence. We'll get another one later on. Um, but this is our first piece of evidence of what. Miravor is designed for. What is it, um, um, you know, or to quote the Holy Grail, how does it work? Um, we don't know exactly how it works. Um, I doubt it's just a, um, so, you know, a, a, a treatment for hypothermia, specifically. I mean, it's possible that it is, but um, probably as, um, uh, as precious as it is, uh, as he says it is, um, it has more virtues than just um, making you feel warm, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Jackie, I agree that he's just pulling it out. Um, uh, he's just pulling it out when it's necessary. Yes, yes. Um, So we'll have to wait until later to see to again we only have now this one data point about the Miravor. But it does seem Gandalf suggests that it's going to help. Um he doesn't say what it's gonna do. Um just a mouthful each for all of us, it's very precious. Don't drink too much. Um not because it's too high proof, but because it's very precious. Um, it seems to be medicinal in some way. Um, and will help how? Physically? 
mentally, spiritually, all of the above? Like, is it going to boost their spirits? Is it going to protect their bodies or heal their bodies? Is it going to... I'm not sure. Um, and yes, Precious does suggest that he does not have a large supply as well. Emily, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> right? Boost their spirits. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it does seem to bring Frodo back. Let's just peek ahead at the effect of it. As soon as Frodo had swallowed a little of the warm and fragrant liquor, he felt a new strength of heart, and the heavy drowsiness left his limbs. The others also revived and found fresh hope and vigor. But the snow did not relent. Okay, it says liquor. Again, that by itself, um, I don't know. I wouldn't take that as absolute proof. But yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty clear. Um, but honestly, even just his the description of them drinking it makes it, it is at least supposed to invoke alcoholic drink, right? Um, something that you drink a little sip of, and when you drink it, you feel like the warmth spreading through your chest, right? Um, like that's, you feel that it is doing something to you as soon as you, as soon as you drink it. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I do think that the word liquor has a, a broader definition, but still, again, I, I, I don't think it's a super important question. Um, notice that it's warm. The warm and fragrant liquor. Um, that's interesting, I think. Um, and I assume it's not just warm because Gandalf's keeping it in his inside pocket, right? I mean, I think he is keeping it in his inside pocket, and that might be part of the reason that it's warm. Um, but... Um, but I think it's also, I think he's describing the feeling of it, like that it's warm, like it feels warm. Um, it makes him feel warm when he drinks it. Um, and yes, it is different from what Gildor gave them, which is explicitly neither warm nor cool. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, when he had swallowed a little... He felt a new strength of heart, and the heavy drowsiness left his limbs. Um, the others also revived and found fresh hope and vigor. Hope, vigor, strength of heart, and departure of drowsiness. These are the four things that we're told about the effect of drinking Miravor there. Um... It's called warm and fragrant, but I don't see any reason to believe that it is actually... like I don't think it's fending off frostbite. I don't think it's physically warmed their bodies. And now they're no longer in danger of death by exposure, right? Hypothermia is a thing of the past. Like, that does not seem to be... Um, it doesn't, it doesn't say that it has any of that effect. It seems to be all mental and spiritual. It doesn't give him strength. It gives him strength of heart. Uh, his limbs aren't necessarily changed, but the drowsiness le leaves his limbs. Like His mind clears. He's not sleepy and feeling sluggish anymore. 
Um, and the others find that's parallel to the vigor that others find, right? The, the energy that they have, and also hope. Notice how both of those, there seems to be a parallel there. Strength of heart with fresh hope. Heavy drowsiness leaving with vigor. Um, so that pairing is consistent, both in Frodo's expression of his own experience and of his observation of the effect on his companions. That it does something to your attitude, right? Um, and it does something to your... Um, uh, it does something to your, well, again, not your actual strength necessarily, but at least your liveliness, right? Your awareness. Um, yeah, Abelard is imagining having Lembos and Miravor together, right? Yes. Um, uh, that'd be the, the whole package right there. Um, yeah, a spiritual stimulant. Absolutely. A spiritual stimulant seems to be a good description of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so it does not seem... But notice, back for a minute, and we'll end with this. To Boromir's initial interpolation, right? Again, this isn't a plan. It is not at all clear from these couple sentences here that Miravor has the ability to keep them from freezing to death. They may feel vigorous and hopeful <laughs> while they're freezing to death. It may give them the strength to do something, but it is not itself doing something, right? Um, and that seems important. And yet we will notice no further plan seems to be forthcoming, right? Um, okay, well, we will leave it there. Look at that. We did like 1.3 slides today. Um, but, um, but we will... Uh, uh, we'll, we will pick up here next time. Maybe we'll do three slides in two days. Who knows? Um, but um, anyway, okay. Yeah, whew. yeah. I'm feeling tired after all that as well. All right, so I'm going to let you guys go. Um, I know, this has been super hasty here. Uh, but um, yes, the next... All right, so our next session will be the 7th of February. So uh, we'll be gone for the, I'll be gone for the next two weeks. Um, the next two Tuesdays, I will be, uh, uh, the, the next set of Tuesdays, as the White Queen in Through the Looking Glass would say, I will be, uh, I will be traveling. Um, and actually, I'm going to be doing a, a, a fair bit of uh, challenging cause and effect <laughs> on my travels here. But uh, anyway, so that'll be the next two weeks. And then uh, we'll be back on the 7th of February. All right, thanks everybody. Our uh, field trip tonight is going to be to Sarnford. Going to be exploring Sarnford for the first time after our our trip down there last time. So, um, thanks everybody. I oh April, I am so looking forward to the jet lag. 
I don't even know what to expect from the jet lag going to Australia, honestly, because I'm like, I mean, I've never done it before, and I am, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very uncertain as to what, um, what, what exactly, how it's going to be when I land, but we'll see. Um, it's kind of like being three months pregnant. It's about uh, three trimesters pregnant. Like expect that kind of uh, okay. swing irritability stuff. Okay. Um, that is outside of my personal experience, but good to know. Good yeah. to know. I'm sure your wife could elaborate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, I've always been a little curious what that was like. So. <laughs> No, yep. I remember when I took a red-eye flight followed by uh, a train and a bus to go to Cambridge. So I was awake, I'd say almost 36 hours myself at that point. And uh, I get check in my dormitory and the bursar goes, what's your name? And there's just this long pause as I'm racking my brain for any sort of clue as to what my name was until I just burst into tears and I go, I don't know. <laughs> and at that point he realized, uh, I needed a minute. Yeah. 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 Well, it's going to be fun. I've always, I've always done fine with jet lag and I've always been, um, uh, I always love the travel. Uh, I mean, yeah. like actually the travel, like the, the airplane trips and stuff. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite is to sit next to the window and just look outside. Like, yeah. Uh, when I got to see uh, Arizona for the first time from the air, it was amazing. It was like looking at the surface of Mars. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Sarnford. Sarn Ford, here we be. Here we be. Okay. Um, so let's start at the actual Ford. So does everybody remember the role that Sarn Ford plays in the Lord of the Rings? Hmm. It's referred to, and we hear about it indirectly. Not directly. Um, Sarn Ford is where Gandalf was going to find Aragorn. So when he oh. sets off from Bag End, um, telling uh, Frodo that he's been feeling a bit anxious and he wants to find out what's going on, he comes here, down to Sarn Ford. Um, Yes, good, exactly. JJ points out that Aragorn also says that he last saw Gandalf at Sarnford in on the 1st of May. Um, yeah, exactly. So we have and so and and rangers are down here. Like this is one of the in in their um uh, you know, patrol of the borders of the Shire, you know, the um the way that the rangers are like the outer bounders, right? Um, uh, guarding the outside of the boundaries of the of the Shire. Sarnford is clearly one of their spots. There's always a ranger at Sarnford. And that's why Gandalf comes down here. Um, that's why Gandalf comes down here in order to see if he can find out what's going on. When, when he wants news, 
when he has that like creepy feeling that something's going on and he doesn't know what it is and he wants to find out what's been going on while he's been in the Shire, um, he comes down to Sarnford because this is a place where he knows like there will certainly be a ranger down here. Um, okay. But he doesn't find Aragorn, of course, this, the, the, the second time when he comes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not far, I think, from Sarnford that he meets Radagast, right? Yeah. Uh, it's soon after he continues on past Sarnford. Um, so, by the way, this is one of the things I'm going to be looking for. Is huh. there any evidence in the game of the place where Gandalf and Radagast met up with each other? That's a thing I would be looking for. Hmm. That would be an awesome thing. I don't know how you'd see it or find it or like what would be left from that. I mean, they just ran into each other by the side of the road and then parted, right? Um, yeah. But, um, but something, I wonder... Uh, or some involvement, um, some involvement in it. Um, yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, like the remnants of a campfire, or like uh, somebody, maybe a person or an animal, or somebody who saw them, or, um, or even like for us to meet Radagast himself. Hey, look. And speaking of, who's this person? I don't know. Thornagil. That sounds like a suspiciously Dunedain name, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. She's yeah, and she's dressed like a ranger. Yeah, a little bit rangerish. The watch on the Shire. Uh huh. My people have long protected the borders of the Shire. Yep. 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 Okay. There you go. So here she is. I was going to say minding her own business, but she's minding other people's business. That's her job. Um, Sitting here in the middle of the Ford, keeping watch. Rather swiftly moving forward. Look at how fast these waters are going. Yeah, this water is rushing. I mean, it's very shallow, fortunately. And I guess that's not shocking that the water would be moving fairly swiftly. But yes, it keeps... uh, I'm like... If I stare at it too long, I'm like on the verge of motion sickness here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very much like standing at the edge of a real river and imagining that you're sailing away. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Skyger, they did meet closer to Bree, but it was on the Greenway. So that's where I'm going to, where I will start looking for it. Any evidence of meeting with Radagast, by the way, is when we come back and get back to the Greenway down here at this intersection, north west of Hearn, I guess it is. Um, Somewhere through there, you know, um, that would be around the place where I would expect that most likely Gandalf and Radagast encountered each other there. Sitting on a bank beside the road. Exactly. That's just the thing. I want to look for a bank beside the road, see if there's any, like, Easter egg thing there, quest Mm -hmm. thing, or whatever. Thornagill um, was mentioning that there was some um, some trouble with the animals here, so that would be a reason for Radagast to be down here. Right, right. Um, yeah. Now across Sarnfor, since we can't get into the south farthing, 
I'm going to assume, what is it, the homesteads? Yes. Okay, it's this road up past the Shire homesteads here? Hmm? Wait a second. So you can take this road all the way up to Waymeet? Yes. Oh, cool. Cool. So it's just this vague area in the bottom and right-hand side of the new Shire map here that we still don't get. The south farthing south of Tuckborough. That is correct. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. The fact there's a portal there tells me we're going to get something like Yondershire took away the portal between Needlehole and Erdluin. Okay, because there's still a portal? Not anymore, because the Yondershire's there. No, no, but no. There's, a portal there's still here. a portal here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so where is the portal? Is it is it between, um, between here and... It's on the far side of the river. Oh, it's just right here? Well, let's go see it. Oh, I see Hologro, and, and the portal prevents uh, chickens going through? Chickens that, got another place. That's hard. Mm. Scenario has been told. Ah, there we go. Yeah. I see. Yeah, you can see it, yeah. Okay, so where does it port you to? Sorry, asking for okay. a friend. Um, oh, I see. Right? Got it. Okay. Oh, give us a minute. I'm loading. So it still is. It still is. Uh, it still there. Still is a skip then, like mm -hmm. as you say, like the Undershire. So we could still get an expansion there for the South Farthing. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, no, I agree, oh. Hologro. This would be much faster, um, to go through the Shire, past Waymeet, straight down, and then you're like at Tharbad and halfway to. I mean, yeah, it would be immensely shorter to get to Minas Tirith from there. Huge. Huge. Okay, so it's the, so the, so we're still skipping the south farthing through that portal. But um, mm -hmm. we can for hope now, for, for we can hope for better things someday. Yes, indeed. Okay. Okay, well that's cool. And then we've got our friend the ranger up here. Oh, where is she going? Oh no, she's on the next one. Okay. Yeah, next one. Much bigger ford than the Fords of Eisen. I honestly would have imagined the Fords of Eisen to look like this. Yes, I agree. The Fords of Eisen were smaller than I expected to. Yep. I also had that experience. And it's interesting to me... I don't know what I expected to be on the other side of the Ford. But upon reflection, I think I expected more than two huts in a tent. It's not... I, maybe it's just that it sounds like the name of a town. Well, yeah, Ford implies that there's some great reception for ships. Or something, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah. It literally means the Ford, of course. Um... And even, you know, like um, English town names that like Bedford or whatever that have that um, that construction in it generally, you know, meant the, the Ford or like Hartford. Yes. Um, well, the river implies there at least was one. Yeah. But there's a road running through it. So it makes you wonder what happened to this river if they put a road through it and then later regretted it. 
Well, I would think they would be putting it to the foot because it is a very prominent Ford. I mean, it's a nice Ford. It's a shallow Ford. I mean, some Fords are just like, you know, the water is shallow enough here that if you ride a horse across it, you probably won't die, right? Like, uh, yeah, it's more. It's less like a ship Ford and more of a fording the stream kind of thing. Exactly, exactly, a Ford in the stream kind of thing, and um, um. And it's 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 the kind of Ford where you'd barely get your ankles wet, which is nice. Yes, that's yes. A, that's we're a, pining for the Fords. We are pining for the right. Fords, absolutely. Um, right now, I was not expecting any buildings by the Ford of Bruin Inn, because that's different. That's a border of you know Elrond's country, out in the middle of nowhere, designed to be secret. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what it is about the way that Sarn Ford has is referred to in the book that led me to expect a town, but I did expect a town. Yeah. I don't think there was a great, a very good reason for that. But I, but I realize upon seeing no town that I did expect one. And yeah, this is maybe what, like a trading post or something like that? Maybe. I think it's just the fact that we're so close to the borders of the Shire. They the rangers still had the that sort of impetus to keep it Middle Earth's best kept secret. Yeah. So maybe this is supposed to be cleverly disguised as the middle of nowhere. Well, and I mean, the more I think about it, the more I like the fact that there's no town here. Um, because again, what would a town here be? It would be like the frontier between the human lands and the hobbit lands, right? It could be another Bree, but it just never was. Right. It would be something like another Bree. Exactly. Or like a, you know, a more than just a trading post, you know, some kind of like marketplace or something where, you know, Shire exports could be sold or whatever, but the Shire doesn't export. Pipeweed. Well... They do, but nobody knows that. Like, it's deviant that... Um, yeah. I mean, there is pipeweed being exported, as it turns out. And it's almost certainly crossing the river here at Sarnford and heading mm-hmm. south to Isengard. Um, but nobody knows that. And it's deviant that it should do that. I wonder um, if we're going to run into any wagons up the road full of pipeweed. Yeah, well, we heard stories about that in the wildly improbable story told by that random hobbit in Tuckborough um, that he stowed away in the wagon and rode all the way down to Isengard. Maybe he just saw a tall building and thought it was Isengard. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, and there is another ranger over there by the fire. So that's mm-hmm. doing his rangerly duty. But also keep in mind that from the hobbit's point of view, that river's probably... Too deep to cross on pony. Well, no, I bet they could do it. It's pretty. Um, it's moving pretty quick. It is moving quick, but it's very shallow. Bill could do it, but of course, you know. But they also hate water. You think they'd chance it? Is right. Yeah, maybe. But no, Something I mean, we know that they don't really export. We know that they don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't do any of that. I mean, it's like trade with other peoples is not even a a goal. Of the Shire, it seems. Yeah. Um, anyway. I'm not sure that it's like the hobbits don't like water. They just don't like boats on water. I mean, they seem to like water and 
in tubs and you know for the bath and <laughs> right. they do like bathtubs so there's That's that true. but i don't think a curacle would survive pretty well on that on that water either no but i don't think they would need it i mean even hobbits could ford that that's what makes it such a nice ford okay all right so we've got now i'm noticing things we've got a ginormous tower where am i facing i'm facing well i'm facing the middle of nowhere so that's fun oh yeah big old tower look fellows i made it to isengard (laughs) right maybe maybe that's the tower that that uh took saw yeah. That would make like so much more going, sense. Is that Mount Doom? No. Is that Mount Doom? No. Is that Mount Doom? No. <laughs> well, the the comment of how things, old things in the game have been turning up in more modern content, I would not be surprised. I would not take a bet on Standing Stone dredging up that old game content in saying, yeah, that's the tower. That's the tower that he saw, right? He did- like three months because he had he'd missed two meals. Right. 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 Um, yeah, we got a couple of uh, lowlies with us, guys, so uh, shoot to kill. All right, yeah. Okay, so this... Not the cows. What? Those, uh, people are shooting cows. That's completely unnecessary. Well, yeah. No, the orcs will attack you. Can't yes. be too careful. Oh, they will? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, if you're low level, I guess they will. Um, what level are things here? Uh, 20s, I think, but we have a couple of 20s. 21. Level. Okay. All right, anyway. Um, so I'm looking at the building here. Oof, top just came down on it. This building... Look a lot better if we could see it during the daytime. It seems clearly Dunedain. I mean, these uh, these green metal plates are things we've seen many times before. Mm-hmm. That sunburst in the middle. Yeah, yeah. We're not... I'm not seeing, like... Um, I'm not seeing stars. It doesn't look exactly like a normal... Arthedanian ruin or something, but of course it wouldn't necessarily. Oh no, it, uh, no, it doesn't. It looks... Does it look like the other Cardolan ruins that we saw? There's oh. a, a broken symbol on the east side here. It has a star on top, and it looks like that tower with the numinous prongs on it, but it's all broken and shattered. The tower itself? Oh, I guess yeah, I'm on the west side. It's like okay. that placard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, hang on. Come back around to the east. Yeah, it's definitely that, you know, Numenor Nouveau style. It does look that way. Oh, yeah, there it is. No, that's clearly the Mm -hmm. the Tower of Cardolan. You're right. I didn't see the tower part. I was looking at what looked like the star up at the top, but the... Yep. Okay. No, that's definitely, definitely Cardolan. Yep. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. Okay. So it's Cardolan... Now, why? Why? Why is it? Not why is it Cardolan. Why is it? Uh, yeah, it, there's no graves anywhere. It's exactly. Why would you bother building a house nowhere near a burial ground? Come on. What are people. you supposed to desecrate out here? Come on. Yeah. Guess they decided to make their own graves this time. It's a. 
fits. Wow, it like imploded. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen one this like damaged fallen before. in in the way it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, it could be a watchtower. Doesn't feel like a watchtower. Too much glass and less towery, right? I mean, if that puppy that we can see off in the distance were standing here, I would think it was a tower to watch the ford. Yeah. But here, I think, I mean, it could be like a garrison building to watch the ford. I think, given its isolation as well, it could just as well be, a, I mean, some kind of a, you know, like a summer home or something. I mean, also, don't forget that we're down here. We're pretty far away from the borders now. We're getting increasingly further from the borders with, um, you know, Arthodyne and Rudauer. Um, so we're getting into the parts down here where the people of Cardolan would have just been chilling rather than where they were fortifying for the civil wars. So it could just yeah. be like a little country house from pre-Civil War days. A dower house for an unpleasant mother-in-law. It would work very well for that. It does seem kind of self-contained, such as like you might build for your mother-in-law's house. <laughs> I can see that. Um, it's, I'm starting to rethink the damage we saw in some of the other Cardolan Cardolingian buildings before, because before, when they were desecrating Holy Land, it looked like it was attacked by supernatural forces. But now I'm wondering if they just are really terrible builders. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if, they, on if their architectural skill was just less than that of the other Dunedain. Well, it's like Roman versus Greek. The Romans just couldn't replicate some of the stuff the Greek did, and it just didn't hold up as well. It had problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a swamp castle. But the fourth one stirred up. Right. Yeah, this one did. It does look like it burnt down, fell over, and sank to the swamp. Like, that explains the win the angle of the windows. It, it did feel like there was some sort of fire that made all the supports just sort of go kablooey. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great, there's much more leaning than we've generally seen. Yeah. Also, does it look like it burned down? Looks to me like it, like the top parts look darker. Yeah, like just from the pattern of destruction, it looks like the roof got destroyed, which destroyed the... Yeah, I think it I think it I think it burned down and fell in. Is what I think happened here. But thinking about its purpose and position during the high time of Cardolan, the Shire would have been empty hunting preserve, basically, of the king. Almost entirely empty, because it would have been before the hobbits moved in. Um, so this is, is a road that went that direction. And I wonder, would you... We'll go to the map again. <coughs> if you're down here, south of the Brandywine, if you're headed up to Fornost, obviously you take the Greenway, all the way up to Fornost. But if you were headed to Evendim, 
Would you go that way? Would you go through the Shire and up to Anuminus that way? I think you might. Yeah, it'd be the more pleasant of drives. Yeah. Rather than going around through Bree and then up and then all the way across, because then you have to cut almost due east. West, sorry. You have to cut almost due west to get to Anuminus from Fornost. Yeah, no, Almir's yeah, Mira's exactly right. It's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful road trip through game country and fishing country. Yeah. And so that's why this would have this road this little extension road, this little bypass, right, out into the hunting preserve would have been built. And that's one of the reasons why I'm thinking like country home rather than fortification. Because there was nothing to guard here. I mean, this was, there was literally nothing down here. We're on the, we're on the south, southwestern, we're in the southwestern corner of the kingdom of Cardoan, and there was nothing to the southwest. Like, it was empty country to the southwest. And there's empty country to the west, and empty country to the northwest from here. Um, Mm -hmm. So... I don't think there would have been anything to watch or guard. Nobody to guard against. No, nothing to watch for. Not in pre-Civil War days, anyway. And this does not look like a military installment to me. Nope. So, that's why I'm thinking this might be a middle-of-nowhere country home for somebody who liked to cross the ford and go hunting and whatever in the South Farthing. In the good times. Yeah. During the times of peace of Cardolan. Yeah. That's my theory about yep. this little house. So, yeah, like a like a very posh hunting lodge or an inn or something. Yeah, posh hunting lodge is just what I'm thinking. And that's why it's so small and self-contained. Because it's not really, like, it doesn't have pleasure gardens and there's no, like, outdoor fountain or anything like that. Because um, it's not... You know, it's not somebody's manor house. It's just a very posh hunting lodge. I think that's exactly. Mm-hmm. And you don't need gardens and stuff. And, you know, some people like gardens and some people like beautiful wilderness full of red poppies and beautiful red rocks. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, you want to go to the tower next time? Yeah. All right. Next time we'll head to that tower and see what's what. I'm very tempted right. by that tower, but it's getting late, and I kept you guys so late last time that I'm not going to do it again. Um, I'm going to keep that tower a thing of mystery in the distance for now, and we shall return to it next time. A tall, beautiful stone carrot for next time. Exactly. Maybe we will uh, not not be in rain in the nighttime next time, but probably we will. <laughs> God willing, and the Ford don't rise. Exactly. All right, excellent. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, Next time again will be three weeks from tonight on the 7th of February um, when I return to the Northern Hemisphere. So thanks, everybody. Um, Safe Safe journey. Thank you. See you guys later. Bye now. Bye.